because probably 70%, 70 to 80% of the time. I think he did that to little ball on it. I was trying to be generous. <laughs> uh, it's just, it, um, it's just not a great answer. Uh, it, it does nothing to distinguish you from anyone else. Yeah. Who is? Wait, hold yeah. on. Um, um, yeah. This is actually super important. Last time, because you talked about, you gave me an example of. Hold on a second. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I ran into that same person. Shut the front door. Because it was cribbage and something else, right? Cribbage and spike ball. Yes. No way. Yes! Oh my god! Because I, I I totally forgot that until right now. Because I looked at that answer and I was like, hey, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. You know what they say, Noah? The worst reason to do something. No, you just moved the couch. <laughs> no, I'd claim it. That was a good one. I would have claimed it. That was a good sound. Oh, are you recording right now? Yeah. I feel like we're uh, we're creating sounds for like a video game. Like I feel like we're in like a Zelda video game. Right yeah. Oh. Oh, a Mario turn. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Do you ever play? Do you, do you play video games, Mario? Oh yeah, I'm a huge video game guy. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying. I was, I was. I was. I was literally about to go to next to what are the most uh, iconic video game? I mean, obviously, Pokemon has got to be up there. I, the Zelda theme song, I think, gets a lot of. I don't remember it. Do you, did you ever play Zelda? Uh, yeah, dude. So the reason, the direction I thought you were going to go with that question, you're talking music right now? Yeah. Yeah, the direction I thought you were going to go with that was who are the most iconic video game characters. And oh. I was going to tell you that far and away, far and away, my answer to that is, is Link from The Legend of Zelda. I just like want, like my whole life revolved around wanting to be Link. Uh, so that's actually super interesting because that goes into what we've talked about before. I'm like, hero archetypes mm. Mm -hmm. uh, and how those types of influences have a strange effect on the person you become. Yeah. Uh, and so that's an interesting one. Uh, that link is your, I just, why? I, I, I've always, I just, I mean, maybe it's because I, I like grew up playing those games and like use my exposure to the hero within the mm -hmm. hero archetype. Mm -hmm. But I just thought he was so, so badass, frankly. Yeah. Like, there's not really much rationale to it besides a like, little kid falls in love with a video game. Here's the main character. Therefore, you love the main character from that particular video game. Uh, is he loosely based off of... you think he's inspired by Robin Hood? Um, I don't know. I think visually he seems to... The two are very similar. Yeah. The two are very similar. Kind of like the green tunic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Link is supposed... Well, technically, depending on how deep you want to get into the lore right now, he's, he's technically Hylian. <laughs> Give it me all the lore. <laughs> Give me all the lore. He's technically Hylian, but he's raised as Kokiri, but then he can become an adult because he's, in fact, Hylian, where the Kokiri stay kids forever. They never grow up. Oh, it's like Peter Pan. Very Peter Pan-esque in that way. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's super interesting. I'm trying to think about 
who, like, growing up, I played a lot of, uh, I actually was super into, like, the Fable games on Xbox. Oh, interesting. I never got into Fable. I never did Fable. You missed out. Because, but I think what I, I liked about it is it's literally, like, it's, it's, uh, it's open world, make your own adventure, mm-hmm. the decisions you make either make you good or bad, oh. which then affect how people interact with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's also, I love this idea. This idea of like, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, it's this idea of like leveling up, like RPG, uh, where you have certain skills that, if practiced enough, level up. So it's literally just a microcosm of life. Yeah, and I always thought man, that was super interesting. I mean, and then it was also uh, gave me an avenue to uh, become a, a master wizard. Mm. Yes. So I got that. Was that your? Was that your? So in is Fable was always my avatar. Yeah, that's that's exactly. So Fable's the kind of game where you can choose like knight or wizard or yeah, Yeah. uh, or or like shaman or like some like yeah. Well, so yeah, it's like the. I mean, so you didn't. You had the same character. You could just choose which skills your character had a predisposition. So you could be like a could like be more geared towards magic or uh you could be more geared toward strength mm-hmm. or uh I, ne- I never remember what like it was it's always like yellow but the one where it's like good at archery and stuff and it's, sometimes it's described as agility and other times dexterity sometimes it's like that one's always got a weird obscure but you know what I mean? Yeah. You could be like, if you wanted to be good at archery, then right, you could right. have this certain skill. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so it would be magic, strength, archery, just because I don't know what else to call it. And then uh, there was always a fourth one. What was the... I feel like, not that I am drawing from the Fable universe, but in other games of that sort that I've played, there's always like a, like a medicinal path. Ah, like for like healer. healer. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's kind of intertwined in the magic line in Fable. But, but anyway, uh, I loved, love, love, love those, loved those games. But then I also really, I was, for some reason, I was, I got lost in the way here, actually, to your apartment. Ah. We're recording Connor's apartment for the first time. Yeah. A whole new, a whole new venue. A few, I took a few, wrong turns because i was in my head thinking about things and mm-hmm. just like wasn't paying attention mm-hmm. one of which i was randomly thinking about video games today because yeah. my favorite video games was always i don't know if you ever heard of like age of empires or command and conquer yeah or yeah 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 those age strategies of empires was was big for a little while Dude, i i mean that's part of the reason i love joan mark so much because ah. uh, i would just be france and she was like the hero for france yeah yeah i freaking loved it um and but anyway, the I was just thinking about it randomly today. I think on the podcast with Luis, I mentioned this. This thread will make sense, I promise. I mentioned the uh, saying about a book must be the axe to the frozen sea within us. Mm-hmm. This idea that like books, experiences, whatever, we must uh, seek out things that wound us so that they change us. Um, 
And but anyway, that came on the heels. So Franz Kafka, the guy that wrote it, this he wrote that particular letter to his friend when he was like 20 years old. But before he got to that point and like the wind up to that letter, he wrote another letter like three days, wait, two two or three months earlier that said something to the effect of like a good book is like uh and this isn't the exact words, but effectively a good book is like stumbling into an unfamiliar room of your own castle. Huh. And so like this idea that like, there's a, there's, I mean, I think we've talked about it in the past of like turning on an empty room yeah. that was previously dark. Yep. Yep. And so when I heard him say it, like, or when I read, read that, I was like, that's a really neat way for a 20 year old to put what I've been trying to, uh, but anyway, yeah. how that all relates where I'm going with strategy-based video games <laughs> is how all of those start is you have this small little area that you can see. The rest of the map is dark. Yes. So like similarly when we're born, right? It's like there is this huge map of existence around us that is dark. And we come in with just a small light of consciousness and awareness. And then we spend the rest of our life exploring the unexplored territory around us Mm -hmm. so it's like slowly uncovering the pieces of the map (laughs) and so in the same way you do it in a video game i was just for whatever reason i was thinking about that in the context of my own life of like you know life really is just like exploring a little more territory and you know it's a lot of the same stuff of like what jordan peterson talks about of there's risk to what is in the black parts of the map because it might hold an enemy. It might hold something that can hurt you. It might hold the downfall of your little civilization you're trying to cultivate. Right. But it also could hold treasure. It also could hold the resources you need to build your community. Um, and so in this hyperlinks back to the conversation we had with Josh about how in cartography when they used to make maps that used to indicate the unexplored parts of the map with the dragon icon to represent oh interesting yeah to represent the possibility that like here be dragons right we don't we we don't know we what's don't here. know yes and therefore there could be yes this looming danger right yep um but yeah that's so i was like thinking about the strategy based games i always used to play and then what's you could take the metaphor a layer deeper because what always happens there too is even after you explore the territory, if you don't have troops immediately occupying the previously explored territory, it turns into fog. So you have the outline of what was there, but you don't know exactly what's there. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Sure. So I think that's similar to this idea of like you can encounter an idea, but you still have to remind yourself and like yeah. bring your awareness to it from time to time. Absolutely. Otherwise, it falls into the fog. Yep. Yeah. I think about it's a, uh, uh, Put differently, and how I often think about it is um, everyone loves to throw around the the knowledge is power, mm-hmm. right? Uh, was that? Did you guys ever sing that song when you were in like grade school? You know what I'm talking about? No, but that knowledge sounds like... is power. I know what I know. It's like something like that. <laughs> I've got nothing, but please oh, go man. on. Well, uh, apologies then for everyone. I just had to listen to that. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I think that 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 isn't the full story. Right, knowledge isn't power so much as applied knowledge is power. Like you could you could know something, but if you don't continue to come back to it and tend to it and utilize that knowledge in some way, shape, or form, then either it will escape you over time or you will you will 
um, just not reap the benefits of actually knowing that information in the first place. Yeah, there's, I can't remember who says it, but uh, I've started to take it to heart. I think it's Seneca, actually. He talks about this distinction between knowing and understanding. Because like simple memorization or knowing of a thing without digesting it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he uses the metaphor of like, basically when you just, it's kind of like when you just like read a book just to read the book. Yeah. Just to have the words without understanding how it applies. It's like, I mean, I think he uses the puking analogy. Um, Basically, if you don't digest it, you just puke it up. Then it says if you never ingested it in the first place. Right, right. yeah, I think I, super interesting. Uh, I would imagine that it was originally derived from that same source from Seneca, but I remember listening to a podcast and for the life of me, I cannot remember where it came from, but uh, basically this guy was saying that when he reads, uh, he will read in such a way that he tries to ensure that whatever content he's coming across, he could, should he be asked to teach it to someone else and and just by approaching the content that way ensures that he's that much more likely to have ingested and understood it himself rather than just okay my eyes glossed over this page technically i read the words but now what yeah well that's i i that's a practice that i've been more intentional about um is transferring my notes and thoughts after reading something to a uh basically like a, like a summary tab um in my one note and so i have it's called i called it the library of lions and so within the library of lions i have a tab for the books that i read and take ideas from and summarize the principles that i find helpful from it and then eventually like this is also this is something i was thinking about let it ride, man. What is that? Is that like a peach flavored water? <clears throat> yeah, it's a from the well, label. It looks peachy. It's sorry, it's my set my microphone down. Uh, the the FM I'm, voice. Explain in the FM voice. Yeah, that's right. So the reason I'm diving in on on uh, this orange and cream seltzer water with the good stuff. It's orange and cream. Yeah, you mother. Yeah. I'm basically, I'm just drinking a cream spill right now. You. Is effectively what's happening. I hate you so much. I have more in the fridge if you want. Oh, yes. So fl- see how quickly, how, how quickly, how quickly we can flip. Yeah, I hate you so much too. I love you so much. Uh, yeah, my voice is, I think, just by virtue of coaching a lot over the last couple of days. And for whatever reason, man, I'm convinced yeah. it's that time in the sauna just uh, gets me good as well. Yeah. Uh, and then here I am sipping on this vanilla cafe latte courtesy of starbucks mm. which i have no idea what coffee does or does not do for vocal health but uh yeah if, if my my register seems lower than folks are accustomed to uh there's a variety of potential influences so i'm trying to get into uh see if the seltzer water will do anything for me and if that just makes it even worse then i'll try just water water and if that gets any worse then i'll probably just go to bed and we'll <laughs> call today <laughs> Uh, you're going to have to help me find my way back to the thread I dropped, uh, in honor of you picking up that creamsicle. I was going on a monologue about something, uh, you were talking about, um, 
I don't know. I too have been have been overwhelmed by by the orange cream school drink. Uh, uh, well, because we were talking about um, knowledge is power. Yeah, knowledge is power, and then we were talking about. I love this association game. Knowledge, understanding, Seneca. Then you brought up like, oh, then it was books, transfer of knowledge. Yes. And it was et cetera. Reading Summary. in order Got to it. Teach. Have the thread. Have it. Got it. Got it back. Nice. <laughs> We're good at this. That was awesome. We're good at this. I enjoyed that. It's like a treasure hunt. Um, so all I was going to say is another thing I was thinking about. I think it was yesterday. I don't know. Can't keep track of the days anymore. But I think I've talked a couple of times on this podcast about my obsession with Harry Potter. And um, I used this trick in law school too. Like in law school, when you're learning outlines and learning material, you know, there's, there are people that have taken the classes before who have outlines of the class, but simply having that outline isn't enough to like learn the material. So what I used to do is I used to literally pull up side by side of like, (laughs) I had my own, like I went through the class, made my own outline. Then I would like use a commercial outline to like help me for any of the gaps I had been missing. And then I had another tab where I literally made myself, when I was like getting ready for tests, I would rewrite it from a fresh page instead yeah. of like staying on the outline. I would literally force myself to transfer that outline and retype all of it out Yep, yep. as a way to like get it to seep into my long-term memory from the short term to the long term. Yeah. And, uh, and this is where I think JK Rowling is like a straight up, genius because she gets like the metaphor so right there's a scene in um harry potter where he gets in trouble with professor umbridge i believe it's in the fifth one uh in the order of the phoenix i think that's right i'm wrong josh will call me out on it um josh be gentle yeah please uh but anyway uh harry gets in trouble with professor umbridge and uh basically it's her wanting to deny that Voldemort is back and Harry says something in the class and then he has to say after an intention and write, I shall not tell lies yeah. over and over again. Yep. And as he does that, it gets carved into the back of his hand. Yep. Yep. And so I, I mean, there's this idea that like the more you write something out, the more it becomes ingrained in you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, yeah. like I think about it in the context of like, instead of having a, invisible pen that carves it into the back of your hand i think whether you're writing it or whatever um there is an invisible metaphorical pen that is like hovering above your brain kind of etching it into your brain you know like getting it to seep into your subconscious there's just something something particularly powerful about taking something in your own words and running it digesting it and kind of getting it through your system that plants it in there deeply yeah yeah well i think that level of i think you're you're spot on in a number of different ways there uh excuse me um on i mean on the one hand i think in your own words is an important piece of the puzzle right it's like you take that level of ownership over it so you have that Mm -hmm. much more understanding than just regurgitated content for the sake of regurgitated content uh and i think that you know similarly we talk from a from an exercise standpoint, you know, you talk about you're literally building in muscle memory, right? And who's to say that that can't happen with ideas and concepts mm-hmm. and just 
enough exposure over time makes them more and more routine, makes them more and more familiar, more and more easily drawn upon. Like I, I can't stop thinking about like all these proofs and like mathematical concepts in particular that I had to memorize and have this, this understanding of for some test or another. And then the test goes by and you completely forget they exist yeah. until there's like some cumulative final and then you rebrush up. And then now here we are years later, I couldn't tell you a damn thing about mo most of what I learned in those classes, right? Because I was memorizing for memorizing's sake, not memorizing for application's sake. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a tricky thing. The other thing with reading that I felt like I, <clears throat> noticed um is that it gets so easy to be proud of the number of books you make it through <clears throat> when i don't think that that is a virtue like the sheer number of books you get through yeah isn't something to praise yeah and this this is another seneca thing at this is in the context of it's got to be the same. I think it's like one to two. But he talks about spending time with the good few as opposed to deluding yourself with the ideas of many. Yeah. So it's like once you find the, you know, like the, the ones with the most depth, it's like, I'll just give the example of like some of Jordan Peterson stuff. Like I literally have read rules, rule, uh, 12 rules of life three times. And each time I read it, it's like, a new level of understanding. I Absolutely. mean, it's the same thing. It's the same thing you would hear people talk about when they talk about the Bible of like each time you read it, it's like there's something more there mm -hmm. than the previous time you read it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's more important to spend time with those revisit, visit and revisit those uh, more transcendent pieces, I guess I'll call them. Yeah. As opposed to trying to stay on top of every single book. Yeah. Uh, that people are talking about. Can I tell you a story from my childhood that's going to seem unrelated, but I'm going to try to connect it back? Uh, yes, please do. Okay. So when my brother and I were growing up, uh, like many of the youths of our time, we were super into Legos. And we had two very, very distinctly different approaches to constructing Lego creations, whatever you want to call them, like just uh, structures, whatever. Uh I now I actually can't remember which one of us took which approach. Ultimately, it's irrelevant, but one of us would try to build the tallest tower possible, and it was it was it was basically just like one straight line of Legos <laughs> as high into the air as possible, and the other of us would build with much more width and foundation, right? And so it it visually it paled in comparison, but structurally it was much more sound. Right. Cause like you, you build up this really tall thing that, you know, uh, uh, somebody walks by it and there's a weird gust of wind or something and it just falls over and crumbles. Right. Uh, and that visual is coming back along to exactly what you're saying with spending time with the, what, what, what was the language you used? The good the, few. The good few. The good few. Uh, I see that as the larger foundation, more structurally sound Lego construction. Lego structure, right? It's like, I don't have a whole lot, but I have a much more command and mastery over that which I do have. Mm. As opposed to 
I've read 300 books this year and I can tell you nothing about any of them. Yeah. Right. Let alone have, apply the principles. Exactly. In them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I think that goes back to like this habits stacking idea of like how do you, if you constantly are fluttering from one book to another or one concept, one idea to another, there's no way you're giving yourself enough time to form a habit. And so then all of a sudden you're trying to juggle 10, 15, 20 new habits. Yeah. All of which will fall through the cracks. Right. None of which will stick. Right. Um, yeah. And I'd say this because that was a flaw of my own. Similarly to how I held out this idea that being busy was a badge of honor. Yeah. I had like this idea that like how many books I can read is a badge of honor. And I, I don't, I think those are both dangerous things that aren't true. Yeah, I agree. And I also, my mind goes back to the conversation we had. I think it was, for some reason I have associated with the conversation with Luis, but it might've just been around that time. We were yeah. talking about uh, majoring in the minors. I think it's it's really yeah. easy and it's really sexy to go to what's what's the next thing that I can do to try to move the needle rather than focusing on investing more of your time and energy into the things that have been proven to move the needle, right? So it's like I again my I am drawn back to like exercise and nutrition, unsurprisingly. But people who are like, what's what what supplement do I need to take? What's the best protein powder? when you look at their diet and it's like, why don't we just not eat a bunch of processed foods yeah. all day, every day. Right. Like there are, there are, they don't need to be sexy. And in fact, I think that's where a lot of people lose out on like, it's, it's sexy to say I've read some impressive number of books mm. in the last little while. Mm. It's, it's far less glamorous to say I have six books on my bookshelf, all of which I've read. 10 plus times and I could recount almost in their entirety for you yeah. with the content that you need to take from it. Yeah. Take from it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a weird, I, I find it really hard and there's a difference I'll say between fiction and nonfiction books, obviously. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. Because I, it's been a strange, I've noticed a strange shift in my own. I used to read exclusively nonfiction books <laughs> growing up. I devoured them. And you devoured, growing up, you devoured sorry, nonfiction sorry, books? Sorry, fiction books. I was going to say, you, are, you had a unique childhood. <laughs> yeah. And with the occasional nonfiction sprinkled in. Sure, sure. I, but I, it's actually like the amount I read is ridiculous, but it's also the greatest gift my parents ever cultivated was this love of reading. Naval Ravikant talks about uh, if if you're somebody that doesn't particularly enjoy reading, try reading only the things you love to read until you love to read. Yeah, everything. That's great. That's really great. Um, and so it's like, I mean, that was a hundred percent why I. But now I read almost exclusively nonfiction. I try to go back to fiction. And I just like, I struggle with it. Um, just, I don't even know why. Like, I still really enjoy a good fiction book. Yeah. But now the ratio, whereas it used to be 90% fiction, 10% nonfiction. Now it's almost, 
I mean, it's flipped. It's 90% nonfiction and 10% fiction. Um, but it's it, the thing I struggle with is that the universe of books that have been made and like continue to be made are is so expansive that like I will never how many like the idea that there is a book out there that I will never encounter that could change my life almost is like haunting sure well I mean that's that's undeniably true I, I know it's an it's an it's like, inevitability. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which which is like I mean that gets back to this idea of uh, how many unfamiliar rooms in my castle mm-hmm. won't ever be explored because I just don't have enough time. Yeah. So uh, maybe my, maybe the devil's advocate question becomes, uh, I mean, come back to the exact conversation we were just having before, right? It's like, do you need to explore every room in your castle to be happy living in your castle? No, I don't think it's a condition, but you contrast that with this phenomenon of every time you do encounter that book that open, like causes the scales to fall from your eyes, then you, it causes you to wonder like, how did I ever, like, how did I live my life up to this point? Not realizing this super simple truth. Yeah. And so it's like, I think it's, it's more of, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, condition to happiness but it's more of like a expansion of serenity yeah Yeah. of peace i i think that makes sense and it's yeah i guess i mean it's hard right it's like you're because we know that it's inevitability Mm -hmm. and by virtue of that being an inevitability you extrapolate it out a little bit farther and it becomes inevitable that you are never going to come across everything that you could want to in order to make your life as happy and as fulfilled as possible. Well, and now that I think about it, actually, this is super interesting because when we were talking about the types of texts that are more eternal than others, and the more and more I think about it, it's like everybody's telling the same story just in different language, in different ways. And it's like, I can encounter, I, I feel like sometimes, a lot of times, I'll read a book that'll resonate with me. And without even realizing it, it's not the first time mm-hmm. I've encountered that particular principle. Sure, I've been primed previously by other books, but for whatever reason, the way that one particular book put it, hit home with me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'll like go back and reread a previous book. and be like, wait a second, this is here too. This, yeah. But yeah. I didn't notice it in this book. Yeah. It's a, it's a really weird balance. And I think this kind of comes back around to, I, I don't remember if we talked about it explicitly when we, when we chatted with Allie or if I just always associate this notion of wrestling with imposter syndrome with yeah. Allie, as that's yeah. something that we did. We talked about it. We that. talked about it with Allie. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's, I mean, that's the that's the ongoing dance, right? Is there is no you could argue there will never be another new idea. Right. Right? So therefore, why put your ideas out into the world? 
because they've been set, they've been done. However, to the point that you just raised, your particular expression of those ideas, how you articulate those ideas could be what snaps the light bulb on for someone and what causes them to go on this, this, uh, to express, you know, to have this overwhelming expression of my life just changed for the better. I just discovered this new room of my castle and my God, look at these abundant treasures. Right. So it's this weird balance between, I feel like I shouldn't do anything. I feel like what's the point in exploring because there's so many places that I know are going to be so fruitful for me. Why, why would I, and I'm never going to be able to get to all of them. So why should I get to any of them? Yeah. And reconciling that with, well, because every single one of them is in fact going to improve your quality of life. Yeah. And I, I think that's, um, I can't remember who said it, but it's, I think for me, especially as I try to write more, it becomes increasingly difficult to write things that I don't feel as if other people have already written better. Um, and, but I can't remember where the idea comes from, but it's just like I mentioned, touched on earlier of like, we are all like authors writing the same story. And so it's this collective enterprise of like constant, we're working towards a consistent crystallization and articulation of the unformed. And so what originally started the beginning of language as this unformed, indescribable thing, slowly in the collective enterprise of humanity, we start to describe it clearer and clearer and clearer and in a way that's more we can engage with as human beings. And so it's like, now I've started to try to think about my writing endeavors in this, in this vein of how can I move the ball forward? How can I crystallize this more, refine it more, explain it in a way that can be more easily absorbed by people, whatever. Um, And so it takes away the sting of, Hey, this has already been said to how can I say it better? Sure. Yeah. I, I I think even better is a, I think it's a noble pursuit and it's an easy thing to get hung up on. Yeah. Right. Because like if I, so uh, for example, I'll be radically transparent with you right now. There are many occasions, even as we are recording podcasts like this, and as we are having these conversations that I think to myself, good Lord, I have no business on an intellectual scale chatting and recording conversation with Noah. Like it's just like (laughs) radically blown out of the water. Right. And so if I just, if I just strive for better, I almost have imposed this sense of like this, this unwinnable game onto myself. At least that's how I rationalize. That's how I think about it. Right. And so I think if people are struggling with that and potentially easier place to turn is rather than better, how do I present this in a, a, a unique yeah, way? Yeah. Or how do I present this in a, in a distinguished way that is unapologetically my own and may not be objectively better, however one defines better in the context of ideas, which I think is another very interesting conversation. Well, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop you there because I think the way that I, when I say better, 
I think it is to me, to me, that means, so I'll give you an example. I think James clear does a phenomenal job of this actually, where he'll take, uh, I'll give you two examples. One is this idea of, uh, it's called Hanlon's razor. And the exact quote is, um, do not take for malice that which can be explained by stupidity. Mm-hmm. That's Hanlon's mm-hmm. razor. Yeah. Uh, James Clear in one of his like Thursday emails, I, I once saw him, and I think this is absolutely brilliant. Basically, he's like, you know, if we're going to update this for modern society, how about do not mistake for malice that which can be explained by busyness? Yeah. Same sure. exact thing. It's like, how often do people read malice into somebody's actions uh when in actuality it's just a result of being busy with other things that maybe they have a shorter response or they're somewhat dismissive it's not because there's ill intent just because they're busy right um right and so like that's one good example another example that whenever it comes out i i I always struggle to publish blog posts officially until i feel like it's like I really can be like proud of it. But the one I've been writing recently is, I think we've talked about this in the past. One of my favorite verses from Proverbs in the Bible, it's 13, 12. And it's hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is the tree of life. So I started thinking about that. I was like, okay, that's, I'm not sure. It's like, again, we don't have it in the original language. So I don't know if like that's a precise translation, but as I think about it, I think it's, um dreams deferred make the heart sick but momentum in the direction of them is the tree of life Mm. and so it's like it's like things like that where it's the same it's the same i'm just using slightly different words but that original sentence has a slightly different meaning like somebody could read hope deferred makes the heart sick i what i'll say is the first time i read it this is a really good example actually first time i read it well, like the first time I read it was a long time ago. I was like 16. But when I came back to the book last year after or whenever, I don't even remember when my last relationship ended at this point. But whenever that ended, I, I reread the book. And I I thought about, I stumbled upon, and I just opened a letter I, I, I wrote a long time ago. I stashed away. And I had this idea of hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when I read those words in that state of mind, I initially like, like at that point I interpreted those words as like, Oh, that's why I, that's why my bones ache so much right now. Because what's happening is every time she says that she's going to come to town, we hang out and then pulls the rug out from under me. That's her feeling, fueling hope Mm. and then taking away. So like, that's what's making my heart sick. Yeah. So it's like she is like that's the deferral of hope, right? And so it's like it's like hope and then it's like, oh, but it'll we'll we'll make it work in the future. Like we'll find it next time. So it's yeah. like that that deferral. So in that mindset, that's where my head went. But then I flipped it and I started to realize, wait a second. This is like the classic it's not just other people that defer hope. Like how have I been deferring my own hope? And so that's when it became this idea of dreams deferred make the heart sick yeah but but momentum in their direction is the tree of life yeah and that's exactly what i've experienced as i've started doing i mean i as i was writing that article i didn't i was just thinking about all the things that have happened in the last year 
from starting a blog to starting this podcast, uh, starting to play the piano, um, to now owning a gym, like that all in one year. And so it's like, yeah, what was I doing before that? Right. Um, but it's just the, the ameliorative effect of, uh, going after the things I said I wanted to go after, but had previously not gone after because I'd been deferring them. Uh, and the effect that that has had on my physical, mental, spiritual well-being is right. uh, undeniable. Yeah. yeah. This is a long-winded way of talking about my definition of better is saying it in a way that resonates with I don't like saying it in a way that would touch the people who are in the same place that you are in given their mindset at that moment sure um I don't know yeah I, I so because I don't think there is like your tier point. I don't think there is as is a, objectively a better way to say it. Now the the other thing I like to infuse into it to the extent possible is um little either whether it's alliteration or pithiness, punchiness, some sort of mental hook that makes it easy for people to remember. Mm, sure. Uh to where it's like usually you do that in the prose. Uh and so it's just like can be a particularly poetic way of putting it, then it's more likely to be remembered and digested. Was that intentional? What? Particularly poetic way of putting it? I, I, yes. Well, if I can spontaneously off the cuff, and it takes a lot of practice, but occasionally, uh, if I'm able to form alliteration real time while I'm speaking, I always feel, uh, especially proud of those sentences oh, uh, because that's just more poetic. Yeah. Um, well, and talk about uh, you're just, you're just continuing to sharpen the blade, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As, as, as an aspiring writer, someone who will eventually be a New York Times best <laughs> That is on the practice everywhere. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that's where even I, we've talked about in the past of uh, one of my weird Arguably, one of the strangest things about me is this uh, idea that if I am listening to a particularly good speaker, and what I'll often do is, is as they're saying it, I'll write it in my head, like write it out in my head and see if there's words that I would change to make it more. Like occasionally, I will like audit somebody and say, like, oh, that's a missed opportunity for like this alliteration you could have done. Sure. Uh, and so that's like one of my favorite things to do is um, the people I respect and admire, especially uh, is audit their work for missed opportunities to say something better than they said it. Yeah. But yeah, it's not an attack at them because at the end of the day, you only have a finite amount of time. Um, but there, are, I, that's my, one of my favorite things is when, is when I can identify a word that they, that I think they right. should have used because it makes the, the sentence flow more freely. Yeah. But. I mean, it's, it's another great example. Yeah. Just practice in real time. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that.
Um, so the for a little bit of context on this podcast, we tried to record a fireside chat in the sauna of Embrace North last week. Turns out uh, uh, that nature had different plans and interrupted our <laughs> Wi-Fi signal. So that conversation shall forever remain betwixt the two of us. That's right. Um, there's some spicy stuff in there. So there you'll is. never know. <laughs> well, we can, we can, I mean, I think you're, uh, can we animate it? We can, we can attempt. We can always attempt, right? It yeah. will never be, it will never be exactly the same, but, uh, I know that there were some, some, pardon the pun, there was some hot and steamy conversation <laughs> around, uh, around revisiting the hinge. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Which yes, I think yes, is, yes. is a fun one to, to, to harken back to. Uh, and, uh, I also know there's a, a very powerful question that we, that we concluded with that we got to be sure to come back around. Yeah, well. for sure. Uh, the only thing that I really remember from the Hange conversation, uh, well, the so other thing, overly, you're really competitive about everything. I feel like that needs to be spoken to the universe. Uh, let's, I mean, let's just, let's dig in, right? The last time yeah. you had me open my, my hinge profile in real time. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll do that again. Yeah. Cause I think we got actually got knocked off track. I think you skirted away from what I was, what we were going to have you do when you pulled it up. But anyway, uh, so just, this is just like an FYI for anybody who may, any women that may have a hinge profile any, I mean, or anybody, men, women, yeah, regardless of gender. Like yeah. You're, yeah. 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 This is, um, just because I, I'm not sure there's not like a, a, a central repository of that you can go to to like figure out most common answers. At least I don't, that should exist. I don't know if it does, but there's often this prompt of I'm overly competitive about, and if you've chosen that prompt, I strongly encourage you not to say everything because probably 70%, 70 to 80% of the time. I think even that's low ball on it. I was trying to be generous. <laughs> uh, it's just, it, um, it's just not a great answer. Uh, it, it does nothing to distinguish you from anyone else. Yeah. Who is, wait, hold yeah. on. Um, um, yeah. This is actually super important. Last time, cause you talked about, you gave me an example uh, hold on a second. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I ran into that same person. Shut the front door. Because it was cribbage and something else, right? Cribbage and spike ball. Yes. No way. <laughs> oh my god. Because I, I I totally forgot that until right now. Because I looked at that answer and I was like, damn, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Yeah, that's oh hilarious. Wait, that is fantastic. Oh, that makes. I can't believe I forgot about that. That is fantastic. So for reference, last time we had this conversation, I gave an, an example from a profile that I had seen of a good answer. Yeah. And it was, I'm overly competitive about cribbage and spike ball. And it sounds like this same lady appeared in Noah's hinge feed. Yes. My goodness gracious. So, uh, that's amazing. Lady, crib, cribbage, spike ball lady. First of all, Tip of the hat. phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal work. Yeah. Uh, and should you ever come across this, Please make yourself known. Yeah. If for no I, other reason, I I can't promise that there are, that there, we have a romantic future with with one another, <laughs> as the app yeah. would would insinuate. But I can promise that I'd love to play cribbage. Yeah, I like. It. So I, I I just pulled mine up too, and like 
the first one I pull up is a, a pretty attractive uh, lady, and but her responses are the key to my heart is food. Oh no! Typical Sunday football. The way to win me over is food. Okay. Are we trying? <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, why even have, have it? Honestly, why even have it? Why even point? have it? Right? It's like if you're just I, okay. So maybe this is a, a whole other layer of conversation within the world of dating apps. But I'm under the impression, at least, if you are, if you're just in it to to get some, go hit, hit get on Tinder. Yeah. yeah, go get on Tinder. Right? Like that's okay. So contrast that with here is a an individual who I think this is another interesting conversation we can have about romance and the I like. Love it. So here's an individual that I'm looking at their profile right now. Uh, their answers are excellent. All of these answers are like, I am, in, I am inclined to start conversation around these prompts, right? So I get along best with people who have deep interests and are willing to talk about anything. Okay, you have my attention. <laughs> Don't hate me if I insist on cooking for you. Okay. That's alluring. Low key flex. Yeah, right? For real. Yeah. Best travel story. Getting chased down by a bull in rural Iceland. Oh, absolutely, I want to know more about that. And I can say I am not attracted to her in the in like a physical sense. Yeah. Like I don't think she is she's not my type. Right? She's not my type. What have we talked about that? What your type is? Uh I don't know. Historically speaking. So, let me, uh, let me, let me. <laughs> as you fumble to find the words. <laughs> oh, my type, yeah? <laughs> so, track record, track record says blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, however, my physical, my weakness is like when I see women that look, yeah. that look yeah. this way, yeah. and I just like get weak in the knees, right? <laughs> Buckle down. Uh, <laughs> dark, dark hair. Mm. So like a brunette or like a like a mm-hmm. like a dark brown mm-hmm. with uh, light eyes, whether they be blue or green or mm-hmm. hazel, mm-hmm. and freckles. Mm. That's the triple threat for me. Mm-hmm. So I see that it's like, yeah, I'm a I'm a hit the heart on that picture. <laughs> 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 but again, the track record shows a lot of blonde hair, blue eyes, and like there's yeah. a running joke in in my family that. Uh, my mom will only accept her eventual daughter-in-law should she have blonde hair. Really? She's like, she's just like, I mean, playfully yeah. Yeah, insisted. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, That's oh, hilarious. mom, I, I actually got on a few dates with someone. Oh, is she blonde? Oh, that's funny. That's actually, uh, oddly enough, um, very similar to my track record until like recently, I guess, until the last one. Mm. But what I will say is you got to be dangerous uh, or you got to be careful because I like like similarly talking about like particularly susceptible to the type you described. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what just lured me right in, man. That was like the – you are willing to ignore a lot of things uh, – Put the blinders on. I guess I'll say that. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that was the that was the siren. It was the siren that lured me in under the guise of a muse. Is, uh, we so okay. We definitely talked about this when we 
the last time we had our, our hinge conversation and just our conversation about like romance yeah. in general is like by virtue of putting yourself onto a dating app, you are inherently like choosing to especially put this like you've you've widened the filter for your potential partner to yeah. come through mm-hmm. right it's like you start kind of rationalizing to yourself like well that's not perfect but i mean it's okay like it's a dating app or like yeah. it's okay like yeah. we're, we're just getting to know one another right uh which i think is interesting He's interesting. Uh, I'm sorry well, if I'm distracted. No, I'm, well, I'm going to read. Yeah, I'm going to read. Uh, <laughs> this one cracks me up. I just thought this was uh, this is funny, but it's also I don't know what to make of it. So the prompt is something that's non-negotiable for me is <laughs> the response. The response is your shoe size. <laughs> All right. You're not talking about shoes. You're not talking about oh, shoes. Oh, I, that, come on. uh, come on. That cracked me up. I, Let's be honest. Um, yeah, that was, uh, I, that one made me giggle. That is excellent. I'm trying, to, is I'm excellent. trying to go through and find some of. Oh, so I had a super interesting one, actually. I'm going to ask you this question. So it has to be the prompt. Well, because her her thing was, um, we'll get along if you enjoy the outdoors, travel, exercise, spontaneity, and long existential conversations. Whoa! And so naturally, uh, say no more. Uh, big fan of the existential conversation, and so I responded with existential <laughs> questions are life. Life spelled with a Y. L Y F E. I don't know why. I don't know why I said that. Uh, um, and she said, I agree. So here's one. Oh, and so this is the question I want to answer. Okay. Ask you. Oh, I, I was a little tipsy actually when I, when I, we had this. That makes much more sense. Uh, I, I, I immediately understand better LYFE. Well, yeah. I mean, I was like seeing John, because he does LIFE, yeah, but I'm yeah, like, yeah. LYFE. Yeah. Um, anyway, so here's one Is the world a better place with humans in it? And I can read you my answer if you want time to think. And again, I don't, realize I'm a few <clears throat> I'm a few white claws deep when I give this answer. But <laughs> is there any other headspace to be in when you're thinking about Absolutely the answer not. to this question? Uh, I don't want to hear your answer because I don't want to take okay. influence yeah. behind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I might. Okay, well, I have to think about it. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how how deep yeah. I. I'm going to get into it. Give me a yes or no answer if you wanted. <laughs> I think so. I want to make sure again. I'm answering the correct question. Is the world a better place because humans are in it? I think the world is a better place for humans because humans are in it. I don't know that I would contend that the world is a better place, holistically speaking. Hmm. Interesting. Just from a, I mean, I think about like climate change and destruction of yeah. of natural resources and the relative I mean you go back however many thousands of years and the world is inevitably a much a much different place. You yeah. could argue that for the vast majority of life on earth it is a worse place because of human existence. 
but for humans because of human existence and everything that human existence has brought with it, it is inherently a much better place because we have buildings and cars. So and that's super interesting. So have you seen Avengers? <clears throat> yes. I actually almost referenced uh, the Avengers. Thanos? Uh, well, because the, the... I don't think... It, I don't remember actually who says the line. If anybody's big fans out there, they're going to be super upset with me. But uh, when you were talking about... We were having a discussion of, of uh, hope. Uh, I think what is it? Is it Iron Man who says in Endgame? It's like, don't do that. Don't give me hope. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I uh, don't. Oh. Well, I think it's from Avengers, and if it's not, I'm really sorry. Well, only reason I said that is like if if there were aliens out there with their finger hovering over the button, mm-hmm. uh, deciding whether or not humans should be allowed to desecrate the Earth, would you press the button? If you were the alien, wait, say that again. So if you like, if if the contention is that it is possible that humans didn't make the world a better place, yeah, right, objectively speaking, and you were Thanos and could flip your fingers and just reduce them to ash, you want to do it? Yeah. I mean, selfishly as a human being, no, <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to get evaporated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think it. I think it depends on. I think it depends on your perspective. It depends on your vantage point, right? It's like, is it for the betterment of the planet? Yeah. As it existed, and, and like, and by whose standards, right? So I, I, I yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna your, your Well, hold on. Before I get to my answer, I'm actually gonna. I want to stay here for a second. There's a story about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible, and it's this conversation. I think it's Abraham that he has with God, and basically Sodom and Gomorrah is representative of this culture that has uh, effectively fallen in love with material things and lost their reverence for God. And the conversation that happens between Abraham and God is God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, he negotiates God down to saying, basically, even if only one good man exists in Sodom and Gomorrah, yes. is it not enough to spare the city? Right, right. Yes. That's your, yeah, I, I don't know if we talked about it on yeah. a recording before, but I remember you speaking this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think as a, I think if I were in the situation I just posed to you, I think that's got to be. I think in this this gets to my. I'll, I'll I'll give you my answer, sure. um, and how it layers in. Uh, so uh, my answer is, start with an obscure quote, of course. Uh, no tree, it is said, can grow to heaven unless its roots reach to hell. Is my opening quote. Dude, our hinge our hinge profiles have to be so vastly different than almost any others that are out there. <laughs> I can't believe, it. at least the conversations we're having. Okay. Oh, and, that's, and so I, I center a shotgun blast. So that's well, that's what I start. That's why I open with. Yep. And I say, which is another way of saying human beings' capacity for evil (parentheses) knowingly and rationally committing acts they know to be bad) is what makes individual human rebellion against that capacity so beautiful. There's also this quote from the movie Kingdom of Heaven where Balian, Orlando Bloom, has a quote hanging in his blackness shop. What man is a man that does not make the world a better place? 
and I generally agree. So to answer your question, do they make the world better? I'm not sure. Depends on your definition of better. But their existence makes the world beautiful. I love that. What did, what did she say? I agree wholeheartedly. We're exceptionally beautiful in our brokenness. What? Yeah. Wow. And then I went back with question two. What do you say to the person that believes life has nothing left for them? Wow. Uh, I have two mm-hmm. responses. Mm-hmm. I have two thoughts. The first in an attempt to maintain ironically enough hope for this person. Counter speed are right in my face. Highly smart. <laughs> okay. No, you're good. No, okay. you're good, seriously. I was just joking. It's just funny. This, you're like curling like, your toes, like right the <laughs> like six my, inches from my, my face. Toes. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, menu. I'm sprawled out on the couch. Can you, right even, can you even feel your foot <laughs> anymore? I, I <laughs> kind of. Uh, Sorry, I got you. Bad Jeff track. No, that's quite all right. Uh, remind me again. Exactly. Yeah, what do you say? To the person who believes that not, that life has nothing left for them, I would tell them that uh, simply because they believe it does not mean that it is true. Mm-hmm. And additionally, and potentially more importantly, I would also tell them that they have something left for life. Mm-hmm. That is the correct answer. I don't think. Yeah. I can't remember if we talked about this before. I'm not sure. But I, I figured it would resonate. Yeah. The line with your- well, okay. So her response, <clears throat> her response was uh, that they haven't taken enough risks. They've settled. Which I thought was interesting. Hmm. And I think it works for the generally the modern person. Like like the corporatized person, I think it works for. Mm, yeah, I don't think it works for everybody. So then, because I, 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 you push around? I did, and so I said I like it, but settled for question mark. And she said boredom, mundanity, comfort. Again, mm-hmm. applicable to the modern person. Yeah. I go, okay, I'm going to give you the hardest case, and ask you if your answer still applies to humans in the worst possible situation. Situation those in Nazi concentration camps. She goes, no, probably not. But I would still say that even in that terrible situation, I would do my hardest to survive and not give in to death. At this point, I'm like, I don't really like that answer. Uh, and I, but so I said, I said, okay, so what do you say to your fellow campmates who think life has nothing left for them? And then I conceded that ultimately this isn't a fair question. I'm giving you a very hard case, like literally the hardest case. Yeah. And her response was, I'd still tell them to hold on to the last possible moment because that could be the moment of their freedom. Which is good. Which yeah, is fair. Yeah. I think I put her in a, in a very hard spot. You did. And I and again, I can't help but think about like these are the kinds of conversations that we're having on our hinge profiles compared to the normal, like, what's this girl's heart? Like, what is she accustomed to? Like, what's your favorite bar? Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, probably not, because she had she, clearly, she's in deep enough in this kind of conversation that she's here for these kinds of conversations, right? Yeah. Uh, but I also, and I mean, at risk of of like glamorizing us in the kinds of conversations we have, like these are atypical. 
right? Like, it is entirely possible that that answer for many would be like, my God, that's, that's transformative. Like, I, that's perfect, like, write a book, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. for us, it's like, well, let's keep digging into this idea a little bit yeah. because I think that there's more layers to this. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I can understand. I'm, 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 yeah, I, I want to be careful not to. <laughs> overestimate uh, the quality of my conversations to your point of like it, I'm by no means the king of conversation and like you know I just to me it's uh, I was like I, I only talk about the things I want to talk about yeah. and it's like I just don't have interest in the what well, yeah the small talk because if, if if that's the avenue I go on something like hinge and it's like spreading yourself way too thin so it's oh, like the only way to filter for me. It's the only filter. Exactly. It's exactly the, the word the the comparison I was going to make, or the word yeah. I was going to come back to. Like if, if you are willing to quote unquote settle in the conversations that you're having right off the jump, then what are you going to do yeah. down the road? Right? Are you are you going to then unveil to them like, hey, just kidding? I actually hate conversations like the ones that got our relationship started. Yeah. I'm a very different human being. So yeah. take it or leave it, right? Like, no, just be you all the time. Yeah. And then for the kind of person that that resonates with, it'll resonate with them. And the connection will start in a way that you are your fullest version of yourself. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about any sort of guys or facade or anything of that sort. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but to, to pick the thread back up on um, your response, which not unsurprisingly is uh, would have been my similar response because uh in man's search for meaning which i believe you do in fact have up there uh, if i'm not mistaken in your bookshelf um that is what there's this beautiful metaphor that i just heard recently about whether it was Solzhenitsyn in the Soviet gulags or Viktor Frankl in the Holocaust camps, that even in set against the darkest backdrop is when you see how I heard it put was you see the spark of God in those times, because it's like the people in the conditions under which they have no business continuing to press on the people that show up and show light in those circumstances it's as if their light originates from another source and so like that's when you see the spark of god mm-hmm. and it's just this to continue the the one that i think is super i love the word ember and so it's this idea that like it's those sparks of god in the darkest situations that blow on the embers of others yeah And so it's like you have this smoldering fire that just needs one bright spot to blow on the embers of the other souls around them to like, who knows what sort of effect that has on like all it takes is one kind act in a concentration camp to like, who knows how many lives a single act of kindness saved by like blowing on the embers of others around them. Yeah. Um, and, but so Victor Frankl talks about in Man's Search for Meaning, this idea of 
having him having conversations with a number of inmates who he said you could always tell when they were going to die because what would happen is um, they'd smoke, they start smoking a few more cigarettes. Um, They would basically just hang around uh, in their bed a little bit longer. And he's like, you basically started to recognize the signals of the man who had given up. Um, And it was always because they had come to believe that life had nothing left for them. And so eventually he started having these conversations. Uh, He gives a few examples um, in it, but the conversation ultimately came to twisting that on its head. It's like, who are you to expect life to have something left for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of asking, like, what is life expecting of you? Sure. Like, what undone thing? And so, for for one guy, he talks about it was it was the book he had started to write before he was thrown in a concentration camp that he wanted to finish when he got out. For another, it was his uh, it was his kids. Like, his kids were the the thing that um, we're going to be waiting for him should he get out of the concentration camp. And so it was like, there's something in the future waiting for you uh, that like the universe will never, I mean, this is, it's that powerful idea of your God's only opportunity at you. And it's like, there's a fabric of, there's a piece of the fabric of the universe that will forever be torn. Should you end to, should you choose to end your life? prematurely right Right. um and so that's where i just think like every time i think about i just think that's such a powerful and that's that whole idea of logotherapy which is victor frankl's particular brand of therapy uh is finding a way to get the restless person to find meaning and purpose in their life again uh is kind of i mean that's like what he focuses on um and I just think that's, it's unbelievably powerful. That's, even as someone who, I, I was not raised religious. Yeah. I did not consider myself a religious person. I consider myself spiritual in that we'd be woefully ignorant to believe that there's not some sort of entity or power that exists, yeah. however you want to describe it, right? Whatever kind of designation or, or label you want to put on it, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you how, how often I come back to to that notion of that I am I am the universe's mm. only chance at me. And to do anything besides live this life in the fullest expression of me and to give as much as I can of me out to the universe around me in an attempt to make it better, to do anything but that is unacceptable. Yeah. It's unacceptable. Yeah, there. I, I don't even know that this is related, but for whatever reason, this line has been stuck in my. And it, it ties, <laughs> ties in with the idea of the oasis. <clears throat> um, but the line is: uh, Does the space into which we dissolve taste of us? Then it's from a poem, uh, and I, I. Switch, I would like to switch the in the vein of the oasis. It's like we've talked about this idea of like the oasis somewhat representative of the collective consciousness into which we are drawn from and return to. 
Um, and so flipping that line from the poem, it would effectively be like, does the oasis into which we dissolve taste of us at all? Mm-hmm. And so this idea that like, we like, I don't even know how to find words for it, but it it's the idea of the more we are ourselves, the more flavor. Like, like, it's like when you're making a food, right? And it's like, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm struggling with how to describe this idea that it's like an explosion of flavors of like a particularly well-crafted meal and like the way it blends flavors together um, is this idea, like to me, it's similar of we should all do our best to make the oasis like like we have a unique flavor right yeah and so we can either attain we our flavor can either be concentrated or diluted during our life and so when it's over this idea of if we are less than we want to be or can be then the oasis for is forever more diluted than it would otherwise be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it's like at, at the end of our life when we return to the oasis and dissolve into it yeah will it taste of us or not right will our presence be felt or not where our, our existence ripple or not there was another um eventually this will be on one of my so this is a another way of putting it in the context of the oasis uh Every soul is like a raindrop that falls from the sky into one vast ocean of consciousness. Most raindrops hit the surface and make a small ripple that fades away, but some ripples become waves. It's the same exact idea, right. just said differently. Right. Um, and I think that's such a, for me, that's such a like a pull forward into like, how do, yeah, I mean, we talked about in the past of like we're each a star that has our unique part of the night sky to paint and a neat piece of the canvas uh, to be. It all comes back to the same thing. And so that's where it's like, to your point, it's on that about coming back to it regularly. I come back to it regularly. I have to remind myself anytime I'm like, especially as, as you get in, as I've gotten in officially into the fitness space, it becomes so easy to be like, Oh, I like oh, what they're doing. Is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, let me, let me, let me. Like, I want to do what they're doing. I want to do that thing, as opposed to like, no, no, no. Stick to what you like. Don't bend and twist yourself to uncreate the person you are, to be the person that somebody else is meant to be. Right. Exactly. That's not yours. That's not yours to be. Like, mm-hmm. let them be that. Like, that's already taken. Yeah. Um, that's been particularly important for me to remember in the last month or so, um, as I start to think about building the gym. Um, but I don't know if that's something you've struggled with in your fitness journey of like making sure that you accept 
the teaching and coaching of others while still retaining your unique voice? Inevitably. Yeah. Inevitably, right? It's, uh, I think that part of what I love so dearly about, and I'm going to use alchemy as my context because that's where a vast majority of my time in the fitness industry and on a professional basis stems from, right? It's just involvement with that company. Yeah. Uh, part of what I appreciate so much about alchemy is within the class structure, there are opportunities for coaches to be themselves and to like, there is flexibility enough to where this is kind of the, the, the agenda is laid out for you, but how you accomplish the objectives of the class experience are open to individualization, right? It's like you could take a class at four 30 coached by me, and then you could take a class at six o'clock coached by somebody else. And it could be the same workout, but it could be a wildly different experience, which I appreciate which I appreciate as I attempt to carve out more and more of my own expression and the gifts that I have to give to the world around me, right? Where then it falls short is as I get more and more in tune with what those things are. And these are conversations that we've, we've had in the past, but I think it's worth refreshing because frankly, I'm not only passionate about it, but I think that people need to hear it more and more often is, like I'm becoming more and more enamored and enthralled and committed to this idea that exercise isn't about physiological adaptation, right? Like less than it's some crazy small percent, like less than like 0.001% of the population is a professional athlete. Like for those people, fitness is for fitness because it's their livelihood, right? For everyone else, if you go to the gym, like you're not going to, you don't do bicep curls to get huge biceps, right? Like if I asked you, why do you want huge biceps? Your answer would not be, I want huge biceps. It would be probably something to the effect of, I want to look a certain way. And then you keep extrapolating out like, well, why do you want to look that way? And you dig in deep enough and you quickly realize that it's not about uh, why it's not about, it's not about having changes to your body. It's about the changes that happen mentally and emotionally and psychologically and spiritually. Right. Uh, probably, sorry, if, I, if we're trying to, we're making, we're plugging in making sure we're not, uh, not going to die or anything of the sort, but, uh, what do you need? What do you like keep, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> keep going. I'll figure it out. This is my apartment now. Uh, so anyway, to come back around to, you know, then my pursuit within the fitness space, uh, I have recognized that, or as I've recognized more and more that that is where I want to pour myself into within the realm of fitness. I've also realized that that is not the mission of alchemy and that's okay. And that's okay. And I can bring it to life within the structure that is, you know, an, an A50 or an A30, which are the, the new names for what were previously A20s and A10s. Uh, and at some point or another, I'm going to venture off and do my own thing entirely because I have a different vision for 
what I want to do through fitness and to do my own thing and to have that, which is my own to bring yeah. to life, you know? Yeah. So I don't really remember exactly what, what the question was or how we got there, but there's my, yeah, my the, the, the question and, and you answered it. The, the question was, um, how do you ensure that, especially in like the fitness world where it can be so, Luis talked about this, like the idea of chasing carrots, like you see what mm -hmm. other people are doing. Yeah. And as opposed to simply copying what other people are doing, you want to accept some level of instruction from those people while still retaining your unique you, your unique version of it. Yeah. And I think it's, it seems to me that maybe it's just a function of consistently reminding yourself of this idea of asking yourself a question of, have I allowed myself to chase somebody else? Like, right. am I, am I attempting to be somebody else? Right. Or am I just uh, taking the best pieces of them while still like, where's the focus? I guess. Sure. Let me, uh, here's another thought that I think is, will hopefully make my answer a bit more easily understood and a bit clearer. And I think that applies not just to the context of fitness, but life moreover. Yeah. Know? We were talking a little bit last night as the sauna happy hour wound down about how firmly we believe that should people come into the gym space that they are going to stick around. Right. Uh, and part of the, part of the point that I, that I brought up along with that was that it's, it's the more and more time I spend in the fitness world in particular, the more and more I realize that it's not about what it's about how, what I mean by that is, uh, again, I'll use alchemy as an example. When we lead people through our, our what was, I don't know, I guess what was previously, I don't know that we still do it right now. The one-on-one seminar, it's basically, it's like, here's the behind the scenes look at alchemy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We tell those people every time we're in attendance, it's not about the workout. It never has been. The workout is free, available to you to, to see online, right? Like anyone and everyone could go onto the website and see what the workout is for that day, right? You may not have all the gear that were, were you know, required, right? Mm. You probably don't have a pull-up bar in your house or you may not have a slam ball and a box or whatever, right? But the point is that it's not about the workout. It's about the experience. It's about how the, the, the workout itself comes to life through the class structure, through the coach, through the interaction, through the playlist, through the environment, through all these different factors, right? But ultimately, what is being done pales in comparison to how it is done. And so, especially in fitness, to use, again, the, the language that Luis used around, like, you, you see these carrots to go and chase, right? You see that, like, oh, man, look at that cool piece of equipment, or look at that movement pattern, or look at that whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. It will never matter more than how the experience with that thing, with that movement, with that 
class is brought to life. Right? Like it's, it's, and I think, again, like you extrapolate it out. It's like, you could go to Starbucks, you could walk to Starbucks, order a coffee, and they hand it to you and you walk out. And that is one experience. And that, that is, there's like, there's the story, right? It's like, order coffee, receive coffee, leave. If you have a barista who doesn't really care for what they're doing, isn't passionate about it, they just take your order, they hand you your coffee, and that it is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Contrast that with someone who strikes up a little lighthearted conversation, joke around a little bit, maybe they playfully spell your name wrong with the you know the, the, the classic yeah, Starbucks yeah, trope, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they give you a big smile and a have a great rest of your day as you take that coffee and walk away, right? Objectively, the same things have occurred insofar as place order, receive order, yeah. go on. But the experience is wildly different. And it's in optimizing that experience that makes or breaks, in, in the case of fitness, does this person have a membership? Does this person sign up to continue to become part of your community, right? But moreover in life, it's like, are the experiences that you are creating for yourself and for others the kinds of experiences that are going to, I guess, to use the same, the same extension to get those people to be a part of your community, assuming that you want them to be. Yeah. Right. Well, that's where I think it's a, it's like a cheesy thing from cheers, but to me, everybody wants to go somewhere where people know their name. Right. And so like, that's, that's when I think about, one of the big pieces of it is it's like just generally, I think we're all starving for community for sure. Um, Cause I think that's the other thing you're paying for is not just the experience, but the community, right. uh, which right. I guess is intertwined. You know, it's, it's kind of one and the same thing. The community is part of the experience, but well, hopefully, yeah. if you're doing things right, I, I mean, and again, like, it's all different, you know, it's like, there are some people who live and die by the global gym model, because they have no interest in immersing with anyone else. They, they, they're just like, okay, I'm gonna put my, my AirPods in, and I'm gonna work out, and I'm not gonna say a word to anyone, yeah. I'm gonna say a word to me. I guess, and that's, that is one thing I want to make sure that I'm like hyper focused on is it's like, we I know we've mentioned this in the past, but it's like, there are going to be some people that aren't our people and that's okay. Yes. And so it's like, we don't need to try to tailor to everybody. Yeah, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should be, you have to be willing to be disliked by some. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that, to me, that has become like increasingly important, especially as it's like, obviously all feedback is good, but you can't continue to stretch to meet everybody's criticisms. Right. Because then you have nothing left. You're formless. You're shapeless. You have nothing to offer. Right. And so that's that's been like a, something I've been trying to focus on. Is it's like how how do we make sure that we're not just bending over for everybody mm -hmm. and offering nothing to anybody mm -hmm. as a result? Yeah. Uh, especially as you get started, it's easy to be like this. How do I chase every single last person? Right. 
Like, I need memberships. Yeah. What's that? You say you want class at 4.37 a.m. Yeah. on Tuesday, yeah. the second Tuesday of every month? Right. You got it. Yeah. But then, right, to your point, it's a very slippery slope. Yeah, I mean, you can't do it for like, – eventually there will be conflicting and clashing interests. And at that point is where you meet the fork in the road and you have to decide. Uh, and so I was like, why not just do that in the front end and just, like, realize, listen – there are going to be some people that aren't our people and that's okay. Like yeah. some people that don't like our gym and that's okay. I, we got to make sure that we like our gym. Right. And if we like our gym, that's going to go through. Yeah. Um, right. And that's going to shine through. And it's like the last thing I want to happen is that for it to warp into this thing where it's based on what other people want and not what we want. And cause then it's not going to give us the life that it currently gives. Right. Yeah. And I'm smirking because again, as this is a, I mean, some, it's, you, you, you paint this picture for one thing and it can be applied to anything yeah. else, right? It's like, uh, that <laughs> hinge conversation that you had with whomever that was, yeah. right? It's like, uh, why would I put forward anything other than myself to dilute who I am, right? It's like, I'm not going to have these conversations about small talk just to cater to the whims of someone who wants to have small talk because where's that going to get you eventually you're going to come to the fork in the road mm -hmm. and as you know it's whether it's in business and relationships in fitness in anywhere in life right it always so gets got, us up you've to got you. to have yeah. the guiding principle to fall back upon when those questions when those fork in the forks in the road excuse me present themselves yeah well and ultimately it comes down to this idea of uh, I talked about how I've read 12 rules for life over and over again, but one of the rules in that book is tell the truth or at least don't lie, which seems like a, like a, you know, when you're growing up, your parents say that to you all the time, all the time, all the time. You don't really understand what it means. What it, I mean, it's, it's bigger than just simply telling a kid not to lie because it also captures this idea of if you have something in you that you want to say and you want to be, you better make sure you're saying it. Like you have the truth as you understand it. And anytime you say something that you know to be false or uh, you're saying something or bending yourself in a way that you know is does not line up with the person you are, eventually that is going to catch up to you. So it's like, in this idea, I think we talked about it in our missed conversation of one of Matthew McConaughey's things is this idea of leaving crumbs that make you leaving crumbs for your future self that make it so you're not looking over your shoulder at like today's actions. Um, that when you come to those crumbs, you're like glad you can like thank your past self, like, oh, thank you for doing this, uh, versus looking at your past self and saying, being resentful and that comes to fruition in the context of lying like you can only get away with a lie is self-defeating defeating given enough long given enough time and a lie isn't simply i don't define a lie as simply being a knowingly false statement i define a lie to include a uh inauthentic expression of yourself.
is how I would define lying. Because then it's lying to either yourself or somebody else. Eventually, it always catches up to you. Um, and so I, that's where I think this idea of just like whether it's in business or relationships or whatever, you have to be authentic because if you're not, it's always going to catch up to you. And you're always going to be waiting for that moment that it catches up to you. Whereas if you're just authentic, you can be present. If you lie, you, you, your mind and awareness and consciousness is always looking over its shoulder, waiting for that thing to catch up to you. So it's always going to pull you back into the past. Whereas if you're authentic, you don't have like, you don't have to worry about it. You can just be yourself. You can be present. Your mind doesn't have to be trying to trace the thread of the lie that you told in the past. Right. You remember once upon a time when we talked about Frozen 2? Of course. And we the this idea of just do the next right thing. Yeah. I think that not only does that set you up for success in the immediate when you are forced with the fork in the road, right? It's like, what decision do I make right now? Is that by virtue of having those guiding virtues, essentially, uh, you are, I don't think you are completely eliminating the possibility of regret, but you are at least fortifying yourself against the possibility of regret. Because then you, whatever decision you make, so long as it's in alignment with being authentically who you are and unapologetically who you are and living, it sounds so cheesy, but you know, living your best life, yeah. right? Uh, if and when the time comes that you find yourself looking back and thinking, should I have done this differently? You are much more equipped to give that, to, to answer that question resoundingly, no, because the decisions that I have made are in alignment with who I am and who I want to be. Yeah. And whatever comes from that, why would I want to anything? So different? this is so beautiful because you're hundred percent right. And this is uh, the trial of Socrates. So the thing that allowed Socrates to have an enduring legacy to essentially make him the father of philosophy is he talked about it. I think I've mentioned in the past, like in, uh, in like Roman and in, in, I think in Greek culture, it was the muses. In Roman culture, it was the genius. And there, in either situation, it was this idea that at birth, you were assigned a genius. You were assigned a muse. You were assigned a guardian angel, whatever you want to talk about it, that represented the highest version of yourself that was represented in the conscious, like your, your consciousness, essentially. And so that's the Jiminy Cricket voice in your head of like the thing that if you listen is telling you what to do and socrates talked about in the trial of socrates he talks about this idea of when people asked him like hey you knew that you were going to be put to death for being accused of like questioning the status quo and bringing foreign gods into greece like you had the opportunity to run why didn't you run and it's because it was that voice in his head that said no you need to you need to turn and stand up for what you believe in and dear God, how that decision rippled through the universe. Yeah. Think if he would have left Greece and not died. Like, what philosophies do we not have? Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. but because he chose to consult his conscience, consult his muse, consult the genius, and stick up for it and follow that thread, regardless of what comes, we now have all of these brands of philosophy that all kind of go back. Like, what progress would have been wasted had he not made that decision? Right. right. Like, it just blows my mind. And so to your point about like, yeah, it's not foolproof. It doesn't work 100% of the time. But you have this voice in your head, if you're honest and ask yourself, that is telling you, like, eh, I don't think you should do that. Or, like, I think you're going to regret that. Yeah. Just listen to it. Yeah. It's not going to be, like, it doesn't mean you're not going to have any regrets. But it's going to minimize it. Certainly. It's, it's going to put you in a lot better spot um, if you listen to that voice. And if you listen to yourself and you just consult it from time to time. Um, and it's, like, again, and I think it applies across it's a cross-disciplinary thing, whether it's relationships, your career, whatever. It's like, just to the extent you have that voice telling you the things that you know you should do or the things you know you shouldn't do, but do anyway, like just listen to that voice and then bring your actions to map to that voice as much as possible. And yeah. I, I your life's not going to be perfect. There's going to be suffering, but I promise you it will minimize the deviation from the anchor that is your purpose, your why, your muse, your whatever. Right. Um, that's going to tell you when you get too far, uh, too far away. And especially if you continue to not listen to it, it's just going to get worse and worse as you drive that wedge in the person you long to be and the person you are um, and the extent to that which that gap exists is going to be the extent to which your soul is restless, in my opinion. Yeah, I can agree with you more. Yeah. But uh, I do want to make sure before we wrap it up here, about 100, 100 yeah, an hour, 37 minutes. <laughs> I was going to ask where we're at. That's, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is coming up on 100 minutes. Um, but anyway, the I want to make sure we wrap up with this idea of uh, what we think, in our own words, the beauty of Embrace North is uh, and why it's so powerful and why we think it holds something for everyone. Yeah. You go first. Of course that's coming. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to tie back around to the point I made earlier about what I want from my life and what I want from my pursuit of fitness in a professional sense. And that is we don't, we being the vast majority of individuals who choose to exercise, we don't exercise to get good at exercising, right? Like you don't, back squat to get good at back squatting. You don't deadlift to get good at deadlifting. You don't do bicep curls to get good at bicep curls. You don't do crunches to get good at crunches. There's some other motivator. There's something more that exists within those experiences. I am a believer from my time in group fitness 
team sports and just individual fitness pursuits that for all of the mediums that exist for personal development, fitness can, and should you choose to let it will be the most potent teacher for any of those possible lessons, right? You want to, you want to develop courage, subject yourself to a workout that you really don't want to do. And that forces you to be courageous while you are doing it. You want to learn to be, uh, disciplined, do a workout every day at the same time, regardless of circumstance. You want to learn to be more positive about yourself, do a workout and constantly recite self-affirming thoughts and, and messages as you go through the experience. Yeah. Before we move on to that one, I just want to like, please, I think one of the most powerful things to do, if at any given point you would like to assess your mental state and where you're at, do a workout or something difficult without any sort of external stimulus mm. and just allow yourself to be aware and observe yourself and observe the mental chatter. Where is your head at? What are you saying to yourself? Yeah. Like, there's no better way than to audit your state of being than to allow yourself to sit in silence and see where your head goes. Absolutely. And that is like a really good indicator of like, Hey, I'm in a pretty good spot or Hey, I got some work to do. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, that's great. And I, I, I mean, I can, I can pick a value, any value and you can develop it through fitness. What I love so very much and what i believe so very deeply in with embrace north is that the entire concept for the space is built around that idea so you know we've spent we being you and myself Luis, callum and rachel a lot of the key players in the space have spent the last week week and a half two weeks and beyond wrestling with what we want the mission statement for the gym to revolve around right and nowhere in that mission statement were people proposing and you know fighting to the death over well we use kettlebells we do interval training that has to be in there no the arguments were why isn't the word or why isn't why isn't the phrase human experience in here somewhere why aren't we talking about embracing discomfort? Why aren't we talking about the mental and psychological growth that comes along? Should we with... use the word soul or not? Right, right. Yeah. Things like that. Like, When's the last time? Many... Yeah, when I, I would be curious to know when, if ever, that has been a part of the conversation outside of like the, a yoga studio. Right, right. And that, and, and that, I think, is maybe the most perfect encapsulation of why... I align so very much with what Embrace North is and stands for and why I believe in it so, so deeply. Uh, now more than ever, as I mean, as we record this in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, is probably objectively speaking, one of the worst times to go about building a gym space. And it doesn't matter. Because what we're building is not a gym space. What we're building is a community. And it's as cliche as can be to say it like that. 
when the underlying why is to make people the best versions of themselves, the language that we did agree upon for the mission statement when it was all said and done, that is what transforms people. That is what makes the world a better place. That is what makes people a better person. And I mean, there it is, like right there. That's what makes people the best versions of themselves. Yeah, that's uh, going back to like Avengers. I don't know why I can't. I think it's Thor Ragnarok uh, or Avengers. I can't remember which one it is. Where eventually Valhalla at the end. I think it's Ragnarok uh, gets destroyed by um, and like the props. Yeah, it is the second one because mm-hmm. that's how the giant fire being. I can't remember its name. Yes, uh, I know. Kills about. the sister. Yep. And at the very end, they're in the spaceship and they're talking about oh, it's destroyed. And, and I, I can't remember if it's Thor or who, but he's basically like. Valhalla is not a place. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the same thing. It's like Embrace North is not a, it's not a place. That now that thread has led me to be for Vendetta, mm. which is this idea that ideas are bulletproof. Uh, there are certain animating principles that cannot be destroyed insofar as somebody believes in its existence and its power. So it's like, regardless of what even happens to the physical gym space, we've created this thing. I mean, there's apparel, there's hats. And so it's like, there are things and concepts that will continue to exist regardless of what happens with the physical space, which makes it such that a physical space can always be resurrected because it's not contingent on any one space insofar as the idea continues to survive. The physical manifestation of it can always be resurrected. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I I agree with you, man. That that I was having this conversation with my mom yesterday about trying to just because I feel like I've spent the last few weeks trying to trying to find the right words and I still don't have them, but it's slowly becoming more and more refined. In in from a from a I think ultimately it comes down to, for me, Embrace North representing a a place that cares about the totality of, optimizing the totality of the individual, Mm. Uh, be it physical or mental or spiritual, in that we are tending, we are offering a space where you can tend to all parts of your garden, not one patch. And so... Uh, I mean, like whether it's like the the true, and to me, I see it represented in like we'll do like the contrast, right? The heat mixed with the cold, and so like like just from a physiological standpoint, I can walk you through the physical benefits of um, of those things, whether it's it's longevity or uh, kind of flushing out bad blood, replacing it with new blood, uh, whether it's reduced inflammation, which is associated with, you know, if somebody that suffers from chronic chronic inflammation can lead to things like Alzheimer's and other conditions uh, that kind of stir around in your body and slowly grow as you suffer from inflammation. So it's like physiologically, I could sit here and talk about all these things that like the physical benefits of everything we do but then also it's like 
it's not only just the physical benefits because what I actually find to be the most beneficial part about sitting in the sauna or sitting in the ice tub is that keeping in line with this idea that we all originate from the same source, I happen to call it God, whether you call it nature or whatever, I think that the nature at its extremes gets you closest to the source. So that's why I think there's such, that's my own personal belief on whether it's the extreme cold or the extreme heat, those things do not allow you to be anywhere other than where your feet are. And so it is to me like those things are a portal to the transcendent and the eternal and the timeless. Like those are the things that bring us closest to our source. And so that's why I think it has such a mental healing effect of like whatever you brought into the gym, whatever I bring into the gym dissolves away when I'm in the sauna and the cold because I'm not allowed to be anywhere other than where I am. And which is an, that is a feeling and a sensation that occasionally I might get it like an alchemy during like a final resting pose, but not with any sort of like consistency. Whereas at Embrace North, it's day in and day out. Every single time I go there, I know it's going to be this oasis and reprieve from the hustle and bustle of society. Everything slows down a little bit. And it's like the world is in alignment. Um, and so it is little, it's nothing less than a portal to paradise, I guess, uh, if I had to sum it up. So, I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Uh, and with that, man, um, I think we say goodbye. I think, we, on, I think we wrap up. An hour 50, so. Yeah. Oh, we got uh, some stuff to do before we open the. And the games continue. Jim. That's right. Uh, we're gonna. Well, I mean, we're headed over there right after, as we finish up here. True. And uh, true, true. for those who may come across this and are interested in coming to experience everything that Embrace North is and can offer, uh, we'd love to have you. Goes without saying. We've got class schedule, all good things available online. If you want to come, just get a little sauna in. Got that available as well. Uh, I don't, I don't mean to put a salesy turn at the end of it, <laughs> but I would be remiss. Embrace North. Add Embrace North. Put, put it out there uh, because I promise you, I'm not trying to sell you what we're doing for the sake of making money. I'm trying to sell you what we're doing for the sake of making you the best version of yourself, which is, again, always what we're after. Well, and, I, and not to tag along and come over top of you there, but it's like, ultimately, selfishly, I can't be the best version of myself unless you are the best version of yourself. And right. so it's like, it's both in my selfish interest and selfless interest, as you like to always say, mm -hmm. of like, to the extent you can align those two things. I think this is a perfect example of that is like, I can't be all I can be if you're not being all you can be. Right. If somebody else that comes to the gym isn't being all they could be, then I mean, this is the reality is this is like, I just, let's do this together. Um, we just all try to be the best we can be and like, see, see how far we can take it. Yeah. Let's see how high we can go. It's beautiful. Uh, all right. I'm over. I'm done. I'm proud. <laughs>
right. Uh, we will chat soon, my friends. Yes. Uh, and so with that, I say, yeah, Luke.